The kingdom of heaven is like. How many times did Jesus start his, his conversation like that? Quite often, didn't he? It is. The kingdom of heaven is like, and then, you know, he pointed to so many different things. And, you know, he speaks to us today, to the thoughtful listener, we're told, in the things of nature, the things around us, in daily life, so that we too can have a tangible connection to his kingdom. Now, Sue told me that the other day, it's like, okay, you've got to remind people, what I am talking about with the parable of the whole wedding thing is, is really a Western idea. The traditional, I am kind of just looking at the, the traditional Western wedding and, and just the whole picture there. Every culture is different. It looks different. It plays out different. But you know what the key is to remember? <clears throat> Within every culture, God has created the capacity to see his character. So no matter where you go, the details might look totally different but they still point to the same God, the same picture. This morning, if you want to, you can turn to uh, Matthew 22, first half of the chapter. Matthew 22, uh, verses 1 to 14, describes the parable of the wedding garment. And I want to take this thought, and I want to go back to yesterday's theme of, of the wedding. We, we kind of expanded the picture or, or kind of dissected the picture of the wedding service as really kind of a parable or a representation of, of Christ's second coming. And within this event, I just want to kind of pick it apart just a little bit, um, politely, of course, and, and look at some of the details and maybe draw out some more lessons for us. <clears throat> In our wedding service today, unlike what we see in Matthew, the guests don't wear a wedding garment like they did in ancient times, a garment that was supplied by the wedding party for the guests when they come to the wedding feast. We don't do that. In our wedding service, there's only one garment that has symbolic meaning in the whole building. What is it? It's the bride's dress. That has symbolism. The groom's, whatever he wears, I mean, he could wear the, the most expensive tux. It means nothing, right? <clears throat> Fortunately, because it's usually black. <laughs> and that'd be poor symbolism. So uh, the only thing that means something is what she's wearing. Now remember in context what we're talking about in the Bible, the woman represents who? The church. the church. Who's the church? We are. People. Men and women. So each of us is bound up in the concept of that bride. I asked the question <clears throat> yesterday in closing, do you want to be the bride or the bystander in this great wedding of all times when Jesus comes? 
if you want to, I didn't get a good response out of that one. What do you want to be, a bride or a bystander? I want to be the bride. <clears throat> good. Okay, so if you want to be the bride, then what are you doing about the wedding garment? It's up to you. Is it worth the investment? <clears throat> you know, and I think this is where we can kind of refine the picture a little bit and where typically we've been a little bit careless. Um, the bride's wedding dress. We just said that it's symbolic, right? Typically, what color is it? White. White. Why? What do you mean? Keep talking. Okay. Typically, yeah, it has to do with moral purity, but you hit it dead on. It actually, if you read the Bible and then follow it up with spirit of prophecy, the wedding garment, her dress declares an issue of character. <clears throat> follow? Go to the spirit of prophecy. The, 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 the garment of Christ's righteousness it's all about what? Only moral purity? No. no. It's, it's a big picture, isn't it? Yeah. It's the character. Yeah. And so I kind of want to tease this apart a little bit. We're not totally off when we make that generalization, uh, even in our uh, Western society today. But what I want to kind of draw apart is it's her veil that is symbolic of her moral purity, her innocence, her virginity, okay? And we're going to look into God's word. And what I'm doing today is actually combining two separate uh, presentations. So we're going to kind of have to scrunch a little bit. Uh, but let's go on. In the book, Christ Object Lessons, page three, starting on page 309, we hear this. By the wedding garment in the parable is represented the pure, spotless character of Christ's true followers. The character that they will possess. To the church is given that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. The fine linen, says the scriptures, is the righteousness of the saints. So where did the saints get this garment? It is the righteousness of Christ, his own unblemished character, that through faith is imparted to all who receive him as their personal savior. This covering, this robe of his own righteousness, Christ will put upon every repenting, believing soul. What's the issue there? The character, which has to do with what? How do you define character? Okay. <laughs> Who you are when nobody's looking, yes. Okay, thoughts and feelings. Yeah, it's the, com it's the combined whole of all your thoughts and feelings. Okay? Who you are with your thoughts and feelings when nobody's looking. And even if our people are looking, I mean, we've all got this internal dialogue going on, right? So... 
we can be out in public and still have these thoughts and feelings that might be pretty dark if people were to be able to see that. The crushed object lesson goes on. It says, the man who came to the feast without the wedding garment represents the condition of many in our world today. They profess to be Christians and lay claim to the blessing and privileges of the gospel yet they feel no need of transformation of character. They have never felt true repentance for sin. They do not realize their need of Christ, nor of exercising faith in him. They have not overcome their inherited and cultivated tendencies to wrongdoing, yet they think that they are good enough in themselves. As the spiritual, so the physical. I brought up this idea yesterday that there's this inseparable union between what we do in the body and what we do in the spirit. Mrs. White talked a lot about, on the subject of health, what happens between the mind and the body is also an inseparable union. If the body is ill and broken down, what's going to happen to the mind? ill and broken down. It's, it's not going to have the capacity to grasp the themes of the gospel, right? And that's why Christ, when he came, healed the body so they could understand the spiritual element. And what I'm saying is the picture, the way God built us and he built the universe around us, there's this inseparable union between what we do physically in the relationships between each other and how we view and relate to God himself. And hopefully over the next few days, you'll start seeing more and more of that connection. So with that, let's kind of, I don't know, let me kind of encroach upon your toes a little bit. Ladies, you are humanity's representatives. Okay. Were you telling the truth the day you walked up that aisle in the color of your garment? What's your character like? Or if you haven't made that, that journey, what do you plan on doing with your character? And again, within that picture is all of us, men and women, right? Us men can ask the same question. What are we bringing? It's an issue of character, isn't it? So easy it is to just put the clothes on, put on the nice smiling face, and just stand like this ha happy soldier, you know, this, this happy Christian. But inside, what's going on? See, it's all a parable of the spiritual element of life. It's this thing that we can't see and can't touch. But nonetheless, it's, it's so much of who we are. How are we going to play that out? Is your character important to you? Amen. Right on. So with this element of character, does it just happen? Is, is character what we're born with? 
we may be born with a particular personality, right? And I think a lot of times we kind of just let it all cook together into kind of this stew. And, and we start thinking that my, my personality is who I am, and it's, it's just the way I am, and, and we kind of start sucking in um, character with that. And it's, you know what? It's just the way I am. Get used to it. And we forget that, again, this is a spiritual picture, right? And it's our character that has to be submitted to Christ. Well, I'm just like that, okay? And we start thinking that we own our character. And Christ says, no, you bring your character. And we use this word transformation. And what does that word mean? Change. Well, but it's bigger than that. One form to another. Closest word, cousin to it, metamorphosis. You're going from something that is worm-like to something that is magnificent. Yeah, beautiful, completely different. Um, Isn't that what Christ is calling for us? So look at the bride. She walks up that aisle. She's in this white wedding dress. And ideally, that white wedding dress is telling the watching world her character is ready for homemaking. She's ready to be the the bride. She knows how to to manage her household. She knows she is, and I could get this, What are the fundamental issues when you read through Proverbs 31? Is Proverbs 31 about moral integrity? Not at all. Has nothing to do with that. It's management. It's character. That's that's what Proverbs 31 is all about, is her character. She does this. She's this. Her Her children look to her for this. Her husband is known in the gates and has more, what's the word, credibility because of her at home. Okay. So if this is a spiritual picture, what's the counterpart? It's us, isn't it? What are we doing with our character? Let's go on. Character just doesn't happen. So this kind of brings up the, you know, as, as we start kind of exploring into the, the spiritual aspects of this, this brings up the whole issue of submission. Now, this is a, this is a horrible word in our society today, okay? And I've had pastors tell me that, you know, I wouldn't touch this subject with a 10-foot pole. And I'm thinking, dude, man, I'm I'm just a backwoods kid. What am I doing? You know, bringing this one up. Am I just totally crazy or just naive? But you know what? It's so true. Everything in the Bible has purpose and has meaning. And forget the 
the, the politically correct notions to this society. I mean, that's just crazy and it's a dead end and goes nowhere. But spiritually to today, I mean, think about this. We do tensely sometimes bring up this word about submission and you, and, and you hear it talked about in the church, but you know what? If you really kind of look at what people are saying, submission today in the church means I will let him bless me. Think about it. That's, I've got a story, but maybe I shouldn't say, share that one. You remember the conversation? No, never mind. That's, okay. It would take too much background, and then that would be uh, a little too much. So, I will let him bless me. I'm me. I'm okay. And so, I will submit to the Lord's giving me all these nice things because I teach Sabbath school, I do this, I do that. And I'm, aren't I just a happy Christian? And we get out the white paint and go all over. See, I'm, I'm his bride. But what's going on inside? The, the issues that Christ rebuked the most, was it drinking and carousing and, and just barbarity? No, it was the issues of what? In the heart. It was pride, arrogance, belligerent. It was selfishness, yeah. Self-righteousness. I can do things fine, thank you. Yeah. The Bible indicates, as we look at this subject, as you just really reflect into that whole parable of the wedding garment in Matthew 22. It is incumbent upon us, it's, it's our duty to conform our character to what he wants, he being Christ, isn't it? If we love him, if we recognize what he has done for us, and what he's providing for us. It's like, whatever you want me to be, that's what, I, that's what I want to present to you. So think about this. Okay, I want to kind of work with you guys a little bit. You all know we've got, a, we've got a scale that we talk about occasionally, the scale of one to 10. Maybe guys do this more. Do ladies do this at all? Do you really? Okay, the one to 10 scale, right? Okay, okay. So guys, one being, oh, she needs a little bit of help. Uh, and, and 10 being, wow. Okay, that uh, it, it just kind of gives you the, the shakes when the 10 walks by. But let me ask you this, to make this point, guys. Into your life, in, in, in maybe a closely developed friendship, this happens maybe fairly quickly, comes a number 43 on the scale of 1 to 10. I mean, this is just, oh. <laughs> wow. 
Do you want to get to know her? Yeah. Yeah. But she's surly and mean. You, you changed your tune. She's just cross. Um, okay, that's my question. I mean, no, this is a 43. This is, this is like 430% of what you could ever hope to want. Is it good? It, will that negate the character? Yeah, it's looks only. It's not going to be worth it. So, so you would not pop the question to her. Will you marry me? Hmm? Yeah, because in this world society, what are we, what are we told over and over? Is is the value of an individual? It's the pain on the outside. It's what you see, right? Yeah. What about if she's not necessarily surly and mean? What if she's just indifferent? How about stubborn? And number 43, just a little stubborn. Is that okay? Is that a deal breaker? How about it? Okay. <laughs> Don't have to worry about that. So, so what you're saying is character is more important, right? That's what you've got to live with. Okay? So what is Christ after? Same thing. We get married, and it's only a lifetime that we have to, we get to have a relationship, okay? Sometimes we can put up with flaws of character for a lifetime. I mean, we get used to each other, right? And we, we integrate, we mesh, and, and we learn to live with each other, you know, even with these little differences that might pop up every now and then. But Christ is inviting a bride home that he has to spend how long with? <laughs> is it important to him to establish in his word who he's bringing home. Do you see what I'm saying? This is not just until death do us part. It's forever and ever and ever. So it behooves him to be very, very careful. Doesn't it? Does he want the white show? Does he just want the happy pain on the outside? The profession, I'm a Christian. Hi, how are you? I'm a Christian. Uh, why are you so heathen? Uh, no, he wants character. He wants depth and meaning, doesn't he? In the book, the, in the book, the stay with God, a statement is made. Oh, why doesn't the Church of Christ arise? and put on her beautiful garments of character. Why doesn't she shine? The great reason for such feeble Christianity is that those who claim to believe the truth have so little knowledge of Christ. 
and so low an estimate of what he will be to them and what they may be to him. We have the most solemn, weighty truths ever committed to mortals today. Why are we hiding it? Are we ashamed? Embarrassed? There are many who are clothed in beautiful outward garments, yet know nothing of the inward adorning of that which is in the sight of God of great price. Their fine clothing covers a heart that is sinful and diseased, full of vanity and pride. It's easy to do, isn't it? Just kind of put on this thing on the outside to get by. But let's look at it maybe this way. How many of you, married or unmarried, made a list? Okay? How many of you have made a list on paper? Okay? <laughs> What'd you say? Did it on the computer. Right on. Okay. And what was on that list? What was, what was the list all about? What you what you were wanting, what characteristics that you wanted, what you were looking for in a spouse, right? And, I, and, and so I, I guess I, I won't ask. How many of you made a list of what you wanted to be for that other person? That's the heart of the matter, isn't it? What do you want to be for that other person? That's, that's completely different thinking, isn't it? Everything, I heard that everything you put on your list that you want, you need to look over and see what you need. Mm -hmm. Totally, yeah. There's a whole different level of thinking, isn't it? That, okay, never mind what I'm going to look for. What do I want to be for this person? Because what I am for this person actually has a lot to do with who you attract and what comes back to you. So jump back to, this, to the, the spiritual aspect of this. What do you want to be for Christ? Do we just consent to let him bless us? Are you just going to suck up all these blessings? What would that look like in the physical? The bride that stays home, bring me the paycheck. Bring me, bring me stuff. Uh, God isn't Santa Claus, is he? No. But so many times Christianity does that. It just kind of we want him to be Santa Claus and bring, it, and, and bring us stuff, nice things, blessings, make me happy. And that's a real corruption of the whole thing, isn't it? Let's go on. Let's go back to this veil idea. I mentioned earlier that bound up within that bride as she comes down the aisle 
are two totally different concepts. And if you read in your Bible, and I, you know, do this. Go look in Matthew 22 and just read and, and, and really get into this parable of the wedding garment and what it in indicates. Go to the spirit of prophecy and, and just look up this parable and, and look at the expansion of the issues of character. And then after you've done that, go back to your Bible, and this is where the computer really helps, but look up all the references in your Bible on the veil. And you'll come away with a study that reveals a completely different train of thought. Okay? In the garment is a representation of our responsibility to God to address the issue of our character. And this is the most solemn time to be doing that, right? Right at the very conclusion of time. If our characters are not submitted and transformed, it doesn't matter if we want to be the bride. It's our character that determines that, not our wishes. The veil, as you study it through the Bible, and basically there's three um, concepts that are... Uh, Three different kinds of references, I guess, in the Bible where the veil comes up. Number one, anybody have an idea? The sanctuary is one. That's actually the most prevalent um, uh, in the, uh, what's the word I want? The, the, most, the most common reference of the word veil is with the sanctuary. Um, you also have the veil that Moses wore. That is mentioned several times through the Bible. Pardon me? Rebecca? The third reference that you see show up quite often is the woman's veil. Okay, so you've got the woman's veil, you've got Moses' veil, and that's a whole other study. Look into that why Moses had to wear a veil. It's, it's just it punctuates this point marvelously. But then the most common reference all through the Bible is the veil of the temple. What is the veil all about? What's it there for? And, the, and this is kind of another reason I want to pull these two apart, the wedding garment, the wedding veil. As you said earlier, when I asked about, you know, hey, hey what does all this white symbolize? You said basically moral purity. Okay, but let's pull it apart because there's some issues here. Let me ask you this. Can a virgin have an immoral and corrupt character? Totally. Yeah. Jesus said in Matthew 5.38, Whosoever looketh upon a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his, in her, his heart. Okay. Is this text only talking to the men? No, it goes both ways, doesn't it? So having this moral purity is not the only thing that matters, right? Go back to my 43 example. 
if she is just the, the absolute knockout you could ever imagine on a scale of one to 10, and she has kept herself pure, does, let's go back and rethink the deal. Is that a plus? Totally. But is that gonna compensate for this awful character she's got? No, it's, it's not, is it? <laughs> What'd you say? Yeah, they can. You gonna make that gamble? <laughs> okay, let's go on. The flip side, can somebody have an honest and chaste character and not be a virgin? Totally, yeah. See, they're two separate issues. Yes, there are times when we can make mistakes and realize after the mistake is made, wow, I just gave away the most precious gift God have ever committed to humanity in innocence. And we can repent and we can think about it and really learn and go on from that day forward and live differently, right? There are many who realize later in life that moral freedom is never free. And so with a heavy heart and burdened conscience, turn back to that straight and narrow way that God calls us to live through, live by. Does it change who we are? It really does, profoundly and forever. It changes who we are. So coming back to this concept, okay, so what is the veil all about? What's the lesson in that? What's the parable? Like I said earlier, you get these three different concepts in your Bible, the woman's veil, the temple veil, and Moses' veil. Read all those references. And what keeps coming back is sanctity, privacy, modesty. These ideas just keep coming back in these references, sanctity, privacy, and modesty. Think about those two words. The veil is a call to a deeper relationship. See, and the thing with veils, they're not meant to be permanent. She walks up the aisle, okay? And it's that veil made of fine, delicate material that just, you can see that radiant smile in her. I mean, this is the day, right? And she comes up. They say their vows. Okay? And then the minister says, you may now kiss the bride. And the veil comes off. Okay? And until that veil comes off, there is no freedom. Right? 2 Corinthians 3, the last half of the chapter, talks about this in context of the veil that Moses wore. And that that veil that Moses wore is still on the hearts of the people of the Corinthian time because they refused to accept Christ, the veil is still over their hearts. And he says, when they accept Christ, that veil will be taken away and there will be liberty. Amen. Okay? A liberty 
to engage in a closer relationship. Now follow this. This just blew me away when it, when it, when it, when it struck. At the wedding, the veil says, I'm bringing my innocence to you. So the veil represents the physical veil that every woman is born with. God did nothing without a purpose and meaning. Okay, just follow what I'm saying and, and just think about it. The spiritual parable, parallel parable is that God is calling us to a deeper and closer walk with him. The groom that stands up here watching the bride come forward, what veil is he more concerned about? The outward show that she's wearing? Or who she's been in private? You know what I'm saying? Why is it that when the Bible talks about virginity, it's always referring to a woman? Never the man. Because it's a woman's issue. Do we have to... Do we have to worry about God's... Yes, it is, because bound up in the woman is what? Humanity, altogether, right? Do we have to... Do we have to doubt God's character? I guess what I'm saying is, no. The issue is for us. The onus is on us. What are we going to do? How are we going to relate to God? The veil hides a closer, more intimate relationship. Was it God's plan to have that veil in the temple? No. He wanted to walk and talk with us in the cool of the day. In, in close contact, in, in physical, I can see you, he can see us, and we can walk and talk. It's only because of God's holiness and his sacred character that he could not... Cons- he could not, what's the word, expose us as fallen beings to his glory. So he had to veil that to protect us. Okay? That veil, imagine, the bride comes up, they get married, and that veil does not come off. Uh-uh. Okay, so they, they go home. Is this going to be a happy home? Is it going to be a growing family? No. She says in Isaiah 4, verse 1, in that day seven women will take a hold of one man. And what is it? How does it go on? We will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. Just let us be called by your name to take away our reproach. We will do what we want to do. Just give us your credit card. Okay? Isn't that foul? But how much do we see that happening in Christianity today? Just give us your name, but we're going to do what we want to do. Okay? And so we never let Christ within the veil of our hearts. We never expose ourselves to him. And consequently, uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but 
Consequently, the church never grows. And that's going to be what we're going to uh, talk about Sunday morning. In Revelation 14.4, the concept of, of the virgin is brought up in association with the 144,000. And look at the par parallels. Why, why are they a special group of people? In Revelation 14, I believe this, the, the issue being addressed there is an issue of character. It's a spiritual issue. These people are monks that have been hiding themselves off in some cloistered monastery somewhere. Right? They're, they're human beings that have never given themselves over to an adulterous relationship with another God. They have kept themselves pure for the one holy God, the creator of the universe. In the midst of a, of a life that has had proposition after proposition, believe this way, believe this way, think this, think that. Hey, isn't this concept really neat? Let's go. No, we haven't chased here and there. You know, behold, he's in the secret chambers. Behold, he's in the desert. We haven't. It's a people that have maintained their focus. I will remain pure for him, for him only. And we see it in Revelation. This is a special group of people to God. There's a depth of relationship with them that can't be matched. And so they follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Isn't this, isn't this marvelous? Um, can you see the connection? The physical, the spiritual. It's like, it's like you're telling the same story. And you can jump back and forth between the details and maintain the story's integrity all the way through. And like I said, I'm taking two completely separate studies and kind of mushing them together here, so I'm leaving out a lot. But everything in the relationship that God has made has a specific purpose and meaning. And you can just, it's like a fractal. You can just go, keep going deeper and deeper and deeper into it. And, and the beauty and the intensity and the complexity just maintains itself all the way through. It's like, wow, the deeper you go, the, just the bigger it gets. It's awesome. So to kind of boil this down, in the wedding garment, we see a call to us to set our characters in order. To really put a lot of thought in, what does he want from me? I want to be that. I want to, I want to be what he wants me to be, which is just like him, his character. I want to keep myself 
wholly for him. And I wish you could see this kind of fun play on words here. I've got that word holy twice. W-H-O-L-L-Y. Keep ourselves holy, all of us. My, my taste buds, my sense of sight, what I'm listening to, what I'm reading, what I'm focused on, you know what I'm saying? Every, every sense that I have, I want to devote to him. And I'm keeping myself holy. That jumps to the concept of the veil. Keeping myself holy for him. Holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y. That's my character. I'm keeping myself holy for him. My character, I'm going to surrender it. I'm going to submit it. I'm going to let him change so that the day of the wedding, when she is back in that secret chamber. She's in seclusion. She's putting on that wedding garment. That character is being molded and transformed from the inside out. And then she puts on that veil. I have kept myself H-O-L-Y holy for you. Isn't that awesome? Intimacy is sacred and it should be treated as such. Men brought up yesterday, why are we getting this unrivaled assault on marriage and purity today? Because this is one of the most powerful vehicles to show us the character of God, what he wants with us, for us. And so Satan is doing his best to take intimacy, put it on TV, put it on the internet, put it on the magazines, put it on the billboard, and just saturate us with intimacy so that it becomes nothing more than what animals do out in the pasture, right? I mean, think about it. If, if all you've got in life is no God, you came from worms, life has no meaning or purpose, what do you live for? Power and sensuality. The senses. Stimulate the senses because you know there's nothing left. And, and, and yet we're swimming in this society. How can it not affect us? And we have to call ourselves back to this because intimacy reveals behind that veil is a sacred, holy relationship that God wants with us. When we come to him, it's easy to just have this prayer that just goes so far. But he's saying, no, give me, and I can't remember how it said, your fears, your joys, the annoyances, the little things of your life, the things that really mean. And when, I, when it really struck me, everything? There was a point in time when I started praying to God about things that were I mean, I wasn't saying them audibly. It was, you know, just praying to God in my mind, but it was still embarrassing because I didn't want to admit it to myself. Talking to him about things that, mm, I just wanted to keep hidden. You know what I'm saying? 
Think about what happened in 70 AD when the temple, when Jerusalem was finally conquered, the Romans marched. No, 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 no. I'm mixing my stories totally up. Sorry. Um, back way up. Um, the crucifixion. The Jews had this whole system of, of religion, right? Of spirituality and, and what things were came to mean to them. And it was just all this pain on the outside, wasn't it? It was a pretension. It was a show to gain the glory and the recognition from fellow human beings, wasn't it? They, they had this pretension of having this close relationship with God, but when Christ died and that veil in the temple was open, what did it reveal? The veil in the temple. When it was torn open, there was nothing in there. 400 years ago, that ark was secreted, right? It was empty, an empty room. Who'd that veil represent? It represented Christ, which is a whole other story that you can just dive into. And it's like, wow. Through him, we pierce the veil, and there is freedom spiritually. Veils weren't meant to stay. Okay? The veil up front comes off and the physical relationship commences. Tomorrow morning we're talking about the honeymoon. And just let your mind go. The other veil goes away. And there's a deeper and deeper relationship that's commenced. Okay, that's what God is calling us to. That's what he's desperately wanting for us. As the spiritual, so the physical. As the physical, so the spiritual. There's just this intimate connection there. Study it out. Commit yourself to a deeper, deeper relationship with God. Give him everything. It'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. Does this make sense? Yes. Is there anything that kind of left you hanging with the, what on earth is he talking about? Yeah. So what you're saying, well, how do I condense this? Yes, there is an element. I don't know if I can repeat it, but is there an element the veil was torn open to reveal nothing, but yet Christ is still in the temple. Uh, there is this element that, yes, our relationship that we have with Christ now is missing one thing, presence, physical presence. And in the second coming, we'll be there. He'll be real. I mean, he'll be right here, up close and personal. System. It was broken. Yeah. So, and, and Jesus kept trying to get it through these people. The kingdom of heaven is 
right here. It's within you. It walks among you. It's the veil of the heart. So this veil. It's one quick little thing here. Think about this. Moses talked with God many, many, many times. Right? He never had to wear a veil. Right? He talked to him so many times. But yet, one time, he asked God, show me your glory. I've, we've been talking all these times. Show me who you are. And God, he condescended to that. He says, okay, tomorrow, this conversation happened in the temple. He says, tomorrow, come, to, come up to the mountain. Stand on this rock. And I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock, and I'm going to put my hand over your face, over your eyes, so you can't see my, my front. Because if you do, you'll, you'll cease to exist. But I'll walk past, and I'll take away my hand, and then you will be able to see my backside and live, and I'll proclaim my character. Now ask yourself this. How close do I have to be to somebody to put my hand over their eyes? Do you realize this wasn't this galactic hand the size of this room that he just reached out 100 yards and went This was Christ physically, right? Coming this close to Moses. The relationship that they had there was way more than what they had talking in the temple. This was, this was something substantive and real in what happened to Moses when he went beyond that veil. What happened to him? They couldn't look at him. They were afraid of him, right? Where do we see that concept? Back in Genesis. We heard your voice and we were afraid because we're naked. It's the natural response of our hearts. I think that's his hope, to have that closeness, to have a people at the very end of time that fully represent his character. And that is so contrary to the lie and to the accusation in this courtroom of the universe. You can't do it, Satan says. He emptied himself right on. Our time is up. Um, tailing right really well with this, study the veil. And just go home and study the veil. And then the next thing, study the secret. Study the word secret. The hidden manna. I mean, yeah, anyway, it just goes so deep. Let's close with prayer. Lord, most holy Father, Oh, Lord, help us understand. Life, as we've been living it, is, is so superficial. And we just ask you to show us the depths of meaning that you've put within it. That is right here that we can be experiencing now between each other to see what you want for us. Show us this and help us to submit and to surrender to you. Holy.
Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.